This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the post-Oscars morning edition. Oh, my goodness. Um, I thank the Academy for this honor. Mom, I just want an Oscar. And ladies, don't let anybody tell you you are ever past your prime. Everything, everywhere. It's intimidating speaking up here, let me just tell you that. I just want an Oscar. Now the party and celebration continue here at the Vanity Fair Oscar party. Is that Rihanna? Oh my God. It's Kay Hudson. I love her so much. And I kept having to pause the hair dryer because I was like, shut up, I need to hear the beat. <laughs> um, Why is Alice Howard? Come on down. Wow. How are you? I'm so hungry. Yes. Yep. You need an in and out burger. Yeah, I know. Not classy as... I don't, I don't know if we're allowed to curse. But yes, yes. Uh, as can we. <laughs> we'll, we'll, be, we'll be done soon. We'll see you inside. We'll see you, you in there. Burgers! <laughs> <laughs> I am Katie Rich. I'm here with Richard Lawson. Hello. With David Canfield. Good morning. And Rebecca Ford. Hello. As you might be able to hear, we are not in our usual locations. We're on way less sleep than we usually get because it's the morning after the Oscars. This is truly a tradition, unlike any other, where we get up way too early to talk about everything we saw the night before. It's sort of hard to know where to start. I do keep flashing back to last year where there was high drama when the Oscars (laughs) were over. Uh, This year, it was dramatic in a much more enjoyable, delightful way. Honestly, I think as, you know, people who've listened to this show kind of got a lot of our personal feelings about this. So I really just want to go straight to Rebecca Ford. You were so nervous about Michelle Yeoh. Rebecca, are you breathing now? I just... I'm so happy that moment. First of all, I'm sorry I sound like Elizabeth Banks on stage. I lost my voice at our party last night. <laughs> you and the cocaine bear were hanging out to her too long. I know. I just, to watch her have that moment after a season of not knowing if it was going to happen. And as much as we thought it was a huge risk for them to put Halle Berry up there to present, I think that made it even more special when it did actually work out. But, you know, she said what she's been saying all season, like this is for anyone who looks like me and didn't think this was possible. And she really carried the weight of that all season. So there was no more rewarding winner for me than, than seeing that moment on stage. There's a photo going around of the moment where she walks off stage with Halle Berry with, and uh, Jessica Chastain with Halle's arm around Michelle and just that weight of history right there. I mean, that's what the Oscars can do. And I guess that's, you know, we'll congratulate them on that risk, even though it made us so nervous when they announced that Halle Berry and Jessica Chastain were presenting. Yeah, it, I think it, it it's totally paid off. And, and and I feel like this is, you know, she's in the history books now. We'll, we'll talk about that moment every time we reference this category and, and other breakthroughs that come in the future. Yeah. I mean, we'll start, we should start from the top line. Everything Everywhere All at Once did pretty much have the night that was expected. Uh, we can get into our predictions ourselves if we want to. Um, but David, you were in the audience there with Rebecca kind of watching. It turned into a sweep in the end. It didn't feel like that at first. You guys had some Everything Everywhere All at Once, like team supporters surrounding you. Uh, that must have been a really fun energy as all those wins kept stacking up. Oh yeah, <laughs> they were they were sprinkled throughout the uh, auditorium. I think I read that they were able to use extra tickets to kind of stack the audience with crew members and uh, <laughs> friends of the movie, which uh, as they should, they had a huge night. They were expected to have a huge night, but yeah, it was it was in kind of a rocky structure purely in terms of like getting to the feel of a sweep because we had this weird, like all quiet on the Western front interlude where if those three categories were not presented back to back to back, I don't think that would have felt quite as ominous with the bomb. <laughs> the best score really. <laughs> what is happening right now? Is is this telling me that something is happening and I need to fear for my life? Um, but no, <laughs> it was sort of bookended by just huge showings for everything everywhere with uh, Kihi Kwan and Jamie Lee Curtis winning early 
And then the movie just just cleaning up at the end there with picture, director, actress, director, screenplay, and um, editing. So it it did have the night that was forecast, but it, it did feel for a moment like it wasn't necessarily going to happen that way, uh, even though it was pretty clear in retrospect from the outset. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I kept the faith throughout. I kind of kept telling people I was in the room with, like, this is Dune, this is Mad Max Fury Road. You've got these technical winners that uh, halfway through the show, we start thinking, like, oh, my God, is there going to be an upset? Um, Richard, did you keep the faith, too, over you're, – you're in Austin for South by Southwest. You're a little bit out of the, the L.A. bubble. Did you have a clearer head than the rest of us? Well, no, what's weird is I was at the party with you guys, and I somehow woke up in a hotel room in Texas, and I don't know how it happened. <laughs> um, I think you're in the multiverse now, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, one thing I wrote about in my review of the show was that, like, it's not the fault of uh, All Quiet and Everything Everywhere that, like, the winners started to seem kind of repetitive. But mm. um, I think that the writing was on the wall the minute that Curtis won. Yep, I think you know. And Rebecca and David can speak more potently to this, but, like, there was a real applause-o-meter kind of factor happening in the audience totally. when they would announce nominees. And it was just like, oh, the Everything Everywhere people are just getting, like, like the Beatles just walked on stage every time their name is said. <laughs> so it felt kind of obvious really early in the evening. Yeah. And that's the barometer we've used all season. And it's just been the case for that movie beginning to end. The other movie that got that level of applause was Top Gun Maverick. Uh, and I kind of seemingly went on a little bit on, uh, went out on a little bit of a limb predicting it for sound because uh, it seemed like not a lot of people did. But I was hey. very happy. I was very confident in that. Uh, once I started hearing that applause, because yeah, that's the best way to gauge. It just sadly is. It can sound very simple, but and the applause was so tepid for movies like Tar, and and I was just like, oh, I see how this is all going to go. Yeah, uh, even for Banshees a little bit, I thought, and you know, those two big movies walked home with nothing. So yeah, let's see if we, so Banshees, Tar, Fablemans, anything else that just Elvis, oh, Elvis, Elvis got just blanked, which is. You know, I think we we knew that it was All Quiet and Elvis kind of duking it out for those technical awards, and I really thought Elvis would get some of them at least. It was it was almost like the movie didn't exist last night. Yep, it didn't. I mean, it lost it lo- it lost everything. I think it it was one of the biggest losers of the night for sure with Banshees, just in terms of nomination totals. That to me was the biggest surprise, uh, if you could call one call anything from that n- night a surprise, because. Yeah, it just had so much representation. A lot of the craft elements are so in your face and so forward that it just seemed destined to win, especially after it won stuff at BAFTA. But I was happy that in places where it lost, you got to see a little bit of the spreading of the wealth. Like I thought Ruth Carter was such a great win Mm -hmm. Um, and a really worthy win for that movie, which was not as good as the first Black Panther, which had some narrative issues, but still had these extraordinary design elements driven by these incredible artists. And after that, you know, really relentless dune sweep last year where a lot of, I think, very worthy movies like Power of the Dog just got left in the dust. It was nice to see not a total sweep below the line and and different elements like a Top Gun sound or a, uh, I don't want to say a whale makeup job because I have thoughts on that one. <laughs> but, we'll, get there. we'll get to the whale. Even then, though, you had a different kinds of movies winning, which was nice to see. I was watching you on the live stream, Katie, a little bit, and I think you had some stat about the last time that one movie won, like, three acting prizes or something. Yeah, like it's, it's yeah. It's really rare, and I think that's where we normally would see a little bit of diversity in terms of, like, what's winning, you know? Because there can be technical sweeps. That's not uncommon. But, uh, yeah, by the time <laughs> when it was like, oh, the third actor from this one movie is winning. Like, it's just, yeah. Uh, but when was the last time, Katie? Do you remember from what you said last night? <laughs> I think I had looked it up for this show when we were making our predictions because that was part of why I think some of us were hesitant about the Jamie Lee Curtis surge because it just seemed so unprecedented because Network was the last movie to win three right. acting awards. And the only other one is Streetcar, right? Yeah, Streetcar is the only other one that's done it. Um, so there's really a huge precedent there that says it's so hard to do. It's a, I mean, that's, you know, everything everywhere won seven Oscars, which is not the biggest sweep in Oscar history, but it made it feel so massive, I think, that there was those huge awards that all went to that one movie. 
But we did predict Jamie Lee Curtis. We did all our acting predictions right. So I, I feel <laughs> real good about that. We honestly, we divided and conquered here. We really did. I don't even remember who we landed on. Well, I wanted to talk about supporting actress a little, a little bit longer and Angela Bassett and, and Wakanda Forever because I think if you've seen the clip of the moment that supporting actress was announced, like Angela Bassett didn't hide her disappointment, which I think is a perfectly reasonable thing to do mm-hmm. after this really – relentless, exhausting season she's been through doing kind of putting every foot right. I think you might have said it, Rebecca, like what more does she need to do to win? And the Jamie Lee Curtis win came for many valid and great reasons, but it was a sad thing to see. It, it, you you wanted it to be able to go both ways, I think. Yeah, I think I would love a case study on what happened there because she was the front runner for so long this season, really until phase two. And and you just think about how she probably felt the last time she was nominated and didn't win. Mm-hmm. And to go through that again this many years later, I just, it, it, it that was the most heartbreaking, uh, you know, loss for me that night. And I'm a big fan of Everything Everywhere and Jamie Lee Curtis, and that was wonderful to see her win. But you can feel both things, you know. So yeah. um, I think that was... That was a tough one. And yeah, I, I think it speaks to being a front runner too early is, is a hard hill to climb sometimes, you know? Uh, I like the moment just when Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors presented a little bit later. And uh, I think Michael B. Jordan just said, like, we see you, auntie, talking about yeah. her role in Black Panther. And it reminded me of, um, you know, when Olivia Coleman won. She's just like, oh, my God, Glenn Close, I'm so sorry. <laughs> just seeing the person who didn't win in the front and feeling like you have to address them. That's, a, you know, it's a pretty regal position to be in. Um, one stat that I think I put on the live blog because someone else had sort of tipped me off to it on Twitter is that like A24 had an unprecedented night. I think no film studio mm-hmm. has ever won those six big awards that A24 won between Everything Everywhere and then the one for The Whale. Um, that feels pretty significant for a relatively new company compared to old studios that has had a Best Picture winner before. But like, I don't know, I just, A24 just really, I mean, dominating at the Oscars, it felt very 2023 to me. It's also like so funny because if any other studio or streamer had done that well, we would have gotten like 12 press releases pointing it out to us. And they're just like (laughs) quietly basking in their wins. And I just, I I just think the films they choose to support and the way they sort of present themselves as a company is a very modern take that is really, really interesting to follow. Yeah. And they win with such an A24 movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. They win with a South by premiere that is bizarre and uh, very itself and has absolutely no awards aspirations on its face, um, which is, I think, part of that authentic appeal and why people did so fall in love with it, because yeah, it was very true to the spirit of that studio and the, those filmmakers. Yeah, I mean, well, we'll get to talking about the Vanity Fair party later, but David and Rebecca, you guys saw some people from A24 at our party when the Everything Everywhere crew got there. Um, were they were they basking in a, in a usual way or were they really cool about it because they're A24? I think they were so happy. I mean, I, I was talking to a couple of them and I was like, well, you knew you were going to get a picture. And, and they were like, we don't know anything. I mean, this movie, <laughs> like, there's it's never safe to assume, you know? So I think... It felt very authentic just how happy they were for it to succeed. And especially, I think, in races like Michelle's that seemed so close right up to the end. Yeah. Relief is the word I would use that I observed. Before we move on from from the supporting categories from the early part of the night, Ki Hui Kwan won the award that we all really thought he would. Um, It came, so they did did animated first, and Guillermo del Toro won. It was very widely expected, and it felt kind of placid. Like, it was just like, okay, here we go. The expected winners are winning. But then I think he brought a real jolt of energy really early on, as did Jamie Lee Curtis. It, It set a nice tone for the night. I was really grateful that the, you know, the race was structured in a way to start us off with those two big wins. Yeah. How did it play on television? Because I felt like the way the musical performances were sort of spliced in sometimes slowed the energy down in a weird way. Um, You know, Diane Warren's was first and and that's a slower song and one from a movie nobody saw. So it it did. I don't know. I thought the pacing was a little strange during the show at times. It was, and I think that it started and I was like, oh, this is like pretty standard issue Oscar, which is kind of what I was hoping for. You know, it was like Mm, a nice gold set with the proper amount of stairs and Jimmy Kimmel did the jokes about the nominees that we kind of, you know, maybe there could have been a fun like musical number or something a little bit punchier. But like for the most part, I was like, okay, they're just going back to basics and that's good. 
But then as the evening wore on, I agree, the pace got weird. It started to speed up in a way that I thought was kind of uncomfortable. They did a lot of playoffs in kind of, I thought, sort of rude fashion to try to desperately get it in under three and a half hours or whatever. Um, I liked that there were the pauses for the musical performances. I think the order of the performances was a little odd. I think they could have started with a more bombastic thing than the Diane Warren song is. Um, Mm. But I appreciated the attempts to to kind of return to the Oscar template of old, but like they just can't be so, I know it's an economic thing, but the worry about time really started to grate on me. Um, I also think, and you guys almost surely didn't see this in the room unless there's like a jumbotron or something, but like the winners and nominees were mostly in bizarre, like really extreme close up. <laughs> like normally it's <laughs> oh, like kind of waste up. Yeah. During the speeches, during the present, the, the presenter things too, like it felt very, um, all of a sudden claustrophobic and you were like, just pull back a little bit, you know? So the, the, the kinks <laughs> of the last few years have not been fully ironed out, even if at the beginning they really did attempt a sort of old-fashioned ceremony. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, that that was, especially with the Gaga performance, something I'd heard. And there were people, always, there's always people in the bar watching on the TV, so if you were in the bar, you would be watching it that way. But um, yeah, the Gaga one was probably the most prominent example of people really going wild over the choices and the way it was directed and, and filmed. Um, How did it feel in the room? Because it's so stripped down. Yeah, I mean, she held it down. I mean, the, after... She's Gaga. Cut, she's going she's gonna to hold everyone's attention. <laughs> I was transfixed. A- after she uh, finished and it cut to commercial, she got a huge second standing ovation. It was kind of electric, honestly. I thought that one played the best in the room, seemingly, versus on TV. I think there was the biggest gap there, just maybe in the way that it was um, broadcast. Yeah. But, you know, I was just happy Gaga was there and doing her thing, and I was vibing with the with all of it. It was, like, so special to be in the room for the Natu Natu performance. Like, I just, that was the best. The energy in, of, of that performance was so fun. And it kind of made you wish there were a few more upbeat songs in the competition. But it, it that was a really fun performance. And then David and I ran into the um, performers <laughs> right after because we headed out to the bar as soon as that was done. And they were just so cloud excited. And, and you just, <laughs> like, love seeing those moments of people being like, oh, my God, we just performed at the Oscars. You know, it just makes it feel really special. I mean, shout out to the performance of This Is A Life, though, because, like, that song is also kind of downbeat. Like, Natu Natu is really the only big one in there. But it was so weird and wonderful. Like, bring back interpretive dance at the Oscars every year. I love seeing that kind of thing. And every best song winner should have to sing a song as part of their speech. Yeah. (laughs) That was wonderful. Was was he singing a riff on the Carpenter song? Or was he just talking about how he loved the Carpenters? It was really delightful. Yeah. Between that and Shirley Ralph, more singing and acceptance speeches we have learned is is better for all of us. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new a translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Oh. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I'm, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. (laughs) I do want to talk about the commercials that were part of the show, which I think if you were in the audience, like David and Rebecca, you didn't really notice that much. But um, Richard, I was so mad at that Little Mermaid trailer, like probably uh, disproportionate to the impact because it really was people setting up a commercial break. Um, But man, that got on my nerves. And look, this is not exactly anything new in terms of like, there are always kind of like movie promos smuggled into the Oscars, you know? Um, Yeah, like people present from a movie that they're starring in like in a few months. 
Right. But this was a case of Disney just not being able to help themselves. <laughs> you know, they were like, all right, it's on our television network. We, uh, you know, kind of sort of resent this ceremony more and more because the ratings aren't what they used to be. So we're going to get our money's worth to have the two, you know, Melissa McCarthy and Halle Bailey, like come out as regular presenters to present a commercial <laughs> or a trailer. I With guess. a Disney yeah. logo on the screen behind them. Yeah, um, that was that was kind of shocking, and um, I, I'll reserve what I thought about the actual look of the Little Mermaid for another episode. But the whole moment was not great. Yeah. So because we were in the room, I I may have missed it, but there was that, and then the Warner Brothers thing, which we mm-hmm. also couldn't see in the room. Were there was there another one, or was it just those I two? I think that was it. That's what feels so weird. Is like why? Yeah, they should have done three. <laughs> yeah, at least do yeah. three, so it feels like a round number. But I thought it, they were going to do like Netflix or something. Yeah. Do you think they offered all the studios a chance to buy it, and only two of them did? And one of them is the broadcast the <laughs> who broadcast the show. So we've had no time to report, but yeah. uh, that would be <laughs> something that would be good to get a little intel on because it, it it was just weird and it seemed like too much and yet not enough. Um, when Margot Robbie did the thing with the audience of uh, while viewers enjoy at home, truly the audience burst out laughing. I mean, it was just, <laughs> it was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, what is the reason we couldn't see it in the theater? I don't, I don't know what a reason could be for that because it's not like it's about rights or something when it's just for the live audience. What did you guys see instead? Like one of those real packages. Yeah, every commercial break we saw kind of like interviews with, uh, the people who are nominated for an upcoming category and like as movie nerds, that was fine and, yeah. but, you know, better than nothing. And the, it was something similar to that during those little trailers. So I think it's what you would have seen if you scanned your QR code, Richard and Katie. I think oh, it was wow. the same mm. thing. I'm so sorry. I didn't jump to my phone. <laughs> I wonder if anyone watching actually did scan the QR code. I, I want to know the tally. I, I, <laughs> yeah, right. But isn't that, but isn't that because studies say young people are always on like, Two or three screens at a time, so maybe they're yeah. they were trying to cater to that. But I, I mean, I've certainly been uh, guilty of that myself. But like scanning a QR code just never feels like the most <laughs> like natural movement. Um, wait, but speaking of film nerd parts, the the part that I could really see on the air, and I don't know if it was as visible um, in the room, but during a couple of the technical categories, like you have Michael B. Jordan and um, Jonathan Majors talking about cinematography and like a camera rolled out on stage. And then with costume design, they had some of the nominated costumes like on mannequins in the background. Um, and it really reminded me of some of those old Oscar ceremonies we've talked about. It, it felt like some like old school glitz. I really, I like that. It's like a little bit of cheese and some bits, but it was about... The nominees themselves, it felt really uh, tonally right. Yeah, that was my favorite part of the whole show. Uh, you, it was really visible in the ceremony. And the whole time, you felt this really consistent reverence for craft and for how these things are made and those very, very frequent reels of, you know, an avatar clip and then the behind the scenes spliced next to it. Um, and just like trying to give viewers at home who maybe don't know a sense of what went into these movies and why it is important that all of these categories are presented and actually given a moment. Uh, I thought the they did it during the actual broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. On the air for people in the, in the room. Like I thought they did a very good job with that. I thought it was a very strong, implicit rebuke to what they did last year in more ways than one, you know, not just presenting them, but embracing what they are not going too out there uh, and just trying to strip it down a little bit and show what the Oscars are supposed to be and maybe wonder if that's enough. And maybe it is, um, because I, I certainly think that, especially when you have big movies like that winning and you can appreciate what went into them, uh, it's an effective way to tell that story. They did a nice job of um, showing very brief clips of past winners when they were starting a Category 2 that I thought sort of made you remember what sort of, you know, impressive wins had happened before. And the way they honored the past, I think, was really appreciated by the room. Yeah, Richard, as our, uh, you know, dedicated correspondent to Oscars of the past, did you get some of that same satisfaction from this year's show? Yeah, I think that 
they brought some of the sort of reverence back. And I know people roll their eyes at that. And, oh, it's so self-important. But like, what is it supposed to be? You know, like this is, <laughs> they're giving people gold trophies. Like, like that's, that's the whole thing. And I think that in recent years, any attempts to make the Oscars hip and to be a little bit sort of sardonic and wry about like, oh, you know, isn't this silly? And I think, you know, I think even with Kimmel, like he, he didn't do that shtick that he's done in years past where he's sort of mocking the thing. And I mean, there was a little bit of it in, in his jokes, but like it, it felt more good natured than before. And I think that yeah. that might be the way to, with the combination of a, of a movie like Everything Everywhere winning and the old school kind of Oscar theatrics, like maybe that's a way to sort of build a coalition of the older and the young in terms of being interested in this and watching the ceremony, you know? So I think attempts to kind of yoke the, the current Oscars to the past is are good. I think that, that they make sense given what the Oscars are supposed to be. Yeah, David and Rebecca, I asked you guys early in the night because I felt like the monologue, Jimmy Kimmel's monologue was fine. Like it landed some jokes and some not jokes as usual standard. But you guys said it went over really well in the room. Yeah, yeah. It, it did. I, th- I thought it was a great, ba- I mean, the women director joke, I think was my favorite part, but I thought the whole <laughs> thing played really well. The whole like, you know, these people in the audience will beat you up if you come up and then like going to Michelle. You, I mean, I, all the bits. That was a great way to be like, hey, these people are in huge movies that you love. Yeah. Spider-Man's here. <laughs> that was really, I thought that was really smart. Yeah. Really smart. Too. Yeah. Smarter than the fan favorite moment, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's a way to do it. <laughs> to call them out without having this insane <laughs> online poll. Um, yeah. He, I think there was just a feeling of assurance and there was a feeling of yeah. being in the hands of someone who, first of all, one thing he does as a host that is uniquely um, comforting is he he's very much there for the people in the room and not just the broadcast. And so you have these, you know, mystery snack boxes under your seat that he has has given you. You have um, more, if one of, feels like more of a one-on-one feeling, more of a... Yes, he is here for the people in this room. He is hosting a, a dinner, a show, and he is giving you the kind of comedy that reflects the people in the room. And I think that there's something that feels quite safe about that in a way that is appealing, as opposed to something that can make people feel awkward. Or it also helped that I thought it was you know pretty solid. It was very standard and very safe, but I thought it was a good Oscars monologue, and that's what everyone in that show wanted last night. Yeah. yeah. Talking to people at the parties, it just felt like everyone just wanted a safe, smooth show that celebrated some movies and didn't have any drama attached to it. And that's okay to want that. And I, I think that's they delivered that. So I, I, I think Jimmy was the perfect host for, for that reason. I support Jimmy Kimmel, but I also did like the moment where Malala just like shut down his whatever. I don't remember what joke he set up for her, but she's just like, I only talk about peace. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) You know, go for it. That bit was not great. (laughs) There was a little too much cocaine bear in the evening. (laughs) There was, though. I couldn't believe they brought it back. For Malala, no less. I, I think that sort of idea that this is going to be safe and what you know compared to last year, whatever. Like, I think that also was reflected in the winners. Like, I think that there was a if, if now it's in the past, we can look at this at this year's Oscar season as like people wanted to feel good, and I think mm-hmm. that's. I mean, obviously there are plenty of people who don't feel good about Fraser winning or the whale winning anything, but like. From the industry perspective, like that's a great happy story. As is Michelle Yeoh, as is Jamie Lee Curtis. Angela Bassett would and have been a happy Kiwi story Kwan. too. Kiwi Kwan is a great story, and I think that it was just a sort. There was a, a sense that a lot of stories were being voted for, almost as much as the movies themselves were, or the performances themselves were. And um, you know, I could kind of grumble about that from a you know a sort of like purist standpoint, but like they gave themselves the evening they wanted kind of top to bottom. And uh, I can't fault, you know, blame them for that. Yeah, I said that, I think, last night on the live stream at our party. But those, I, I don't remember, you were all four winners were sort of comeback stories where these are people who either left the industry or the industry abandoned them or they've just been completely underestimated, you know, during their career. And every one of those awards was like such a feel-good moment. So I think that's a pretty significant note. We did get a listener question already, and I apologize if I've not been able to look this up, asking when was the last time all four winners were first-time nominees. 
Uh, so we're going to have to look into that because I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I imagine it's, I mean, it's probably more common than the 16 first-time nominees total than we had. But, um, you know, I, that energy was very palpable, I think. Definitely. Even someone like Sarah Polly winning. Again, oh, I can't believe it, we haven't talked about Sarah Polly, <laughs> David. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Uh, but it was—it is a story. It is a story vote. It is—it is a campaign that was run beautifully, and that movie was very hard fought to get into this race. But I think people really fell in love with her and admired what she did, even as that movie struggled to find a wider audience. And she's been in the industry since she was a child. You know, like, yep, exactly. like that's a, like, that's another thing. It's a, a dim echo of the Kiwi Kwan thing. Like, I, I think there, this was just a lot of they circled the wagons around their people, and said, "Young man, Austin Butler, you you have to wait your turn. We're, we're, that, that's not where we're at this year." And uh, you know, I think that 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 sentiment was on the wall at SAGS, and I should have listened to David and Rebecca in <laughs> doing my predictions, but I thought they would go the other route. We, we can we can make our mea culpas, Richard, that we were on the wrong side of the best actor predictions. It happens to the best of us. Um, I mean, yeah, David, you were telling you, – you finally did just tell me last night, like, yeah, I was confident about Brendan Fraser. You didn't tell me I was an idiot, but it was you – no, know, the, the subtext was clear. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I, I had been so reluctant to go there, even though that's where my head was. And once I kind of finally settled on it after he won SAG – I did feel pretty good about that prediction. But I was also just talking about the over the course of the evening, like once Elvis lost, it was just very clear that Brendan Fraser was win. The makeup win was the, was the tipping yeah. point, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I mean, I just didn't, Austin was not going to be the only win for that movie. That would have been really weird. So yeah, at a certain point, it was like, this is definitely Brendan's to lose. I do want to go back to Sarah Polly for a second. Um, Rebecca, would you like to report uh, David's reaction <laughs> when Sarah Polly won? Yeah, it, I, like David's yelp out into the audience was, first of all, somehow before everyone else reacted. And so I was like, did they hear that on the broadcast? That was the loudest thing I've ever heard. It was, it was a very sweet moment. And then at the party, Sarah Polly told us the story about how her husband fainted Uh after she, like, hugged him and went on stage because he was just, like, so overwhelmed. So I'm surprised David didn't faint is what I'm saying. And it, it thank provokes, you. It, it provokes strong responses, Rebecca. Like, I'm, in, I, I'm on the side of history here. And her husband's named David. So the Davids reacted in the room. Yeah, well, and her husband was at the party. He he recovered in time to go yes. celebrate, which I feel is an important update. Yes, and she was telling everyone this story, so I don't think I'm sharing something. In terms of my reaction, just to sort of put in some context, um, I, it's been no secret that this movie's been a, a passion project of mine this season. Um, but the way the night was going, it felt like All Quiet on the Western Front was going to win that category, and I'd already resigned myself to predicting that. So mm-hmm. I was just like, it's not winning. I think I literally turned to Rebecca 30 minutes before, and yeah. I was like, it's not happening. And then it, the fact that Florence Pugh said women talking, number one, yes, very exciting moment for me and for Sarah Polly, not just for me. Um, but also it was, you know, not to say I was actively rooting against All Quiet on the Western Front, but, you know, you want that everything everywhere moment. That's where we were there for. And to me, that moment also solidified that this was not going to be the All Quiet upset. Because if it can't beat women talking in adapted screenplay, it's not winning Best Picture. So it was it was a layered shriek, in, in some. Well, it occurs to me that our two big our two big hope predictions, that like the two big things we predicted, we didn't know if they would come true, were women talking and Michelle Yeoh, and they both happened. Like that's a a lovely thing. The shorts it didn't work out so well, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we bombed in the shorts, guys. <laughs> we, were yeah. and we were we were zero for three, right? Yeah. Yes, I think we were at least we were all in it together. Like some of us, can, we we don't have to gloat over the other ones. Yeah, well, you know, some some worthy winners in there, but uh, I would have liked to see, um, you know, our year of dicks. We 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 love you still. I think there was one worthy one worthy winner in there, not to be nasty, but I yeah. think they picked. I personally think they picked the worst movie in two of the three of those categories. Yeah. Wow. Uh, better, li- better, better like next year to all of us. <laughs> I tweeted about the boy, the fox, the mole, whatever the hell that thing. Uh, and that tweet went like viral. And all of these people were like, oh my God, people were laughing at the bad dialogue when I was, went to go see the shorts in the theater. Like apparently <laughs> there is a wave of uh, dislike for that movie that I was previously unaware of. 
Yeah, and I don't feel bad about trashing it because the campaign for that was very, very loud. And so Apple got it. Not, not you know, they fought for it, but um, it's a bad movie. It's a bad movie. It's interesting because I think I, I felt like so confident in our choices because we had watched them all. We had discussed them. All. I was like, that feels like a lot more than maybe a lot of voters have done. But I think next year we need, I want to do a little more digging into the politics behind them because I think those races are probably a little more political than I anticipate every year. I think better finance too is the secret yeah. that we're that we're learning behind that. Yeah, for sure. Okay, we should end the Oscars point of our discussion so we can get to the Vanity Fair party. I mean, the everything everywhere all at once, you know, cruise through the end. Uh, I love Dan Quan talking about his mom. Um, any any other highlights from the final Best Picture moment? I think it was really cool how many of them talked about their moms, especially their immigrant mothers. I mean, obviously that's the theme of that film, but as a child of an immigrant mother, like I've never had an experience where I got to see an Asian face talk about that on screen and the way the weight of your mom's expectations can weigh on you. Obviously Michelle has brought that up a lot. It, it just like to see that come alive was, was really, really special. Um, the producer, Jonathan Wong also mentioned his immigrant parents as well. So it just feels like I've said this before, but you know, a lot of the people involved with the film are, are carrying sort of the, you know, the the sacrifices of their own parents, which is a lot of people's story in this country as well, not just Asian people, but you could really feel it, I think, when they were accepting that win. I do feel like, because I, I think when we look at this year and last year with CODA, it just proves that it doesn't matter when a film premieres. Like we've always assumed it's the fall premiere films that will have the easiest journey, but you know, we're looking at a South by film and a Sundance film winning. So it, it's interesting how we have to kind of, I think, watch throughout the year more than we used to. Yeah. To tag onto that, I, I do think we can zoom out a little bit and just point out the weirdness of the fact that the above the line Oscar winners for 2023 are everything everywhere all at once, the whale and women talking, and that's it. Mm. I mean, that, that <laughs> if you, you told me that six months ago, I would have been like, <laughs> you are a fucking idiot. <laughs> but that... <laughs> That's that's where they went. I mean, it's, it's a strange but kind of beautiful year. Okay, we'll be right back to talk about the Vanity Fair party uh, after this break. There's lots more to come. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Luna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as a specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. We're here in Los Angeles at the Vanity Fair Oscars party. It's so busy. Honestly, this party's really fun because you get to see your... Uh, I'm itching. Itch oh, my sorry, back. yeah, of course. Oh, Over here? Yeah, right there. Right there. there. No, up, in. I'm going to get to the dance floor as soon as possible. Will there be one in there? Absolutely. There's going to be a dance floor. There's gonna, it's going to be lit up, I think. I've never been to this party before. Really? Have you? No, that was a lie. I don't know. I've never been in there. Apparently, maybe you know this already, but you can jump the queue if um, you come and talk to me. So I feel like that's a pretty good way of doing things. Okay. Are you hungry? Oh, well, brilliant. Well, I was going to ask you what your In-N-Out burger order was because oh, I'm taking orders. You know what, though? I've never had a hamburger in my life. What? Huh? Are you veggie? No. Oh, what do you mean? I you eat just... other things. I've just never had a hamburger. How is that? Oh, sorry. How is I that possible? Bye-bye. Gigi, what are you excited about tonight besides the burger? Besides In-N-Out? Well, that was my answer, so you took it away. Um, I'm just excited <laughs> for... To be here, you know, for a night that I have nothing to do with. I'm going to do that tonight. Yeah. I'm going to dance on a table tonight. Have you ever been... Are the tables on there? I don't know. I've never been. I'll get a table for you. Excuse Great. me? Can we please Can we get, get a table, table for Paul Mescal to dance Pronto. On? Pronto. Stats. <laughs> Stats. Stats. I'm um, really good at presenting, so you know. Um, you know. I want to look at the audience, right? But you've got to read. So there's a bit of this and a bit of this, a bit of this, a bit of this. <laughs> you want to look down and say, hey, Michelle, yo. Yeah, you what's gotta... good? <laughs> no, I can't actually leave now, but I would love to leave and go to the party with you. Come on, Shall then. Shall we just do it? Yeah, let's go. All right, okay, bye, guys. Going I'm going off with Pedro. 
So what you just heard were the highlights from our two live streams from the Vanity Fair Oscar party last night. Uh, I was on hosting the first hour with Mike Hogan, our colleague, and Franklin Leonard of The Blacklist and a VF contributor. And then the second hour was hosted on TikTok by Amelia de Moldenberg, the chicken shop date girl herself. Um, it's kind of a blur for me, honestly. Like, <laughs> if you guys tell me specific people I talk to, I might be able to remember it. Um, Richard, we, we trust you as the fair arbiter. What did you witness from the Vanity Fair party that we can tell you about? Well, you know, I, I watched some of the live stream. I, I looked at a lot of the photos of the Mark Seliger studio. You know, I, I read uh, the party report from Neat Freeman, I believe. So it seems like it was well attended and uh, people were really enjoying themselves. But I'm curious from from you folks who were there, like, was there a sort of bell of the ball? You know, like some it feels like in the years I've gone, like people are surrounding one person or movie or something. I'm assuming it would be everything everywhere. But who was getting the most attention from what you saw? The non-winner duo that I saw get like swarmed the entire time was Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors, which I think you're talking about a film just that just like had a huge box office performance. And they're obviously like giant movie stars. And I, I, I think it's those moments of sort of watching huge stars interact with people you don't see, you know, just sort of like across mediums or they, you've never seen them work on films together, but you see those like relationships and friendships that you have on screen, I thought was really special to watch at that party every year. Yeah, I had the same experience. Um, I, when I got there, the first person I walked by was Justin Bieber, <laughs> who had a, was wearing a blanket thing. I think and it, it was, was a quilt. Look, I was cold sometimes. I, I admire it. <laughs> no judgment, no judgment, just striking, you know? It's like, oh, I'm here. <laughs> Hello, Vanity Fair. Um, and, and near the end, it felt like Billie Eilish had a huge crowd around her um, and was kind of you know tightly packed in with like people like Tessa Thompson. Um, and that was a fun sight. Uh, but it did feel like the everything everywhere, that, that train never quite came in. Um, but Michelle Yeoh did have a great dancing moment uh, on the dance floor. So we did, we did, have, we did have that. Yeah, I was just going to say Michelle Yeoh was the obvious belle of the ball because she kind of came in, like, not with her Everything Everywhere crew. She was kind of on her own. And she, you know, what you're saying, Richard, kind of feel the gravitational pull of the room move towards someone. And I watched it happen with her. And we had hosted a party with the Everything Everywhere cast on Friday before the Oscars. And it was the same thing in this, in a much smaller room. um, Yeah, we could not, we could not move, Katie. (laughs) You could could not not move, move. except somehow everyone moved toward Michelle Yeoh anyway, where she left the conga line at that party. (laughs) Um, I mean, and I, I really more that Friday party um, than on Sunday just because of how much I saw her. Like, she was just having a really good time. Like, someone who has been on this trail for so, so long, like, seemed to really be reveling in it and dancing and taking selfies. And I was really delighted to see her. That, that's kind of the moment where you feel like, ah, oh, yes, the Oscars are over. These very worthy winners are getting to properly celebrate and then hopefully go home and rest. And, you know, even the people who didn't win, like I saw a really nice photo from our party of Angela Bassett and Stephanie Hsu in a very tight, smiley embrace, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that the party can provide a really nice opportunity. Okay, you didn't win, but you can breathe now. It's over. You know, it's like getting voted off Survivor. You're like, I didn't win, but like I get to go to, you know, Ponderosa and eat some food. And and I think that's great that people can kind of be like, you know, we got this far. Uh, You know, only one of us was going to win and now we can just kind of enjoy each other's company and and um, I think that's that's a really good reason to have a party. Yeah. You did talk to uh, Ryan Johnson, Katie, on the live stream. And one of my favorite category to track through the months has oh, been adapted yeah. screenplay. And I spent a, quite a bit of time with Kazuo Shiguro as well as Bill Nye from Living. And it just felt like everyone there, that spirit carried through to the party in a really wonderful way. And they were the only two nominees from that movie and their director, Oliver Hermanus was there. And it's, it was just, you know, they're at the Vanity Fair party. They're having a great time. (laughs) And that's, that's all you can ask for. Uh, They probably knew they were not going to win. And so this was the, the last hurrah and they were very happy to have it. Yeah, I talked to Ryan's wife, uh, Karina Longworth, who's been on this podcast before a little bit afterwards, and she was kind of reflecting on how they learned from 2019 when Nights Out was nominated, like how to navigate this whole process a little bit more, which I think for people who are writers or work behind the scenes is still overwhelming, kind of no matter how many times you've done it. And last night, you really get a sense of people being like, this is the end, I'm going to push, I'm going to stay up later than I would have, because, you know, this time next week, I'll be home on my couch. Um, So that really adds to the celebratory feel that it's the very, very last gasp of something very long. 
I did yeah. see um, Austin Butler holding an Oscar. Oh, Interesting. And I had yes. alternate universe. Multiple people described. I didn't see it, but multiple people described this site to me. And I was like, "Whoa! Did I get confused? <laughs> Is this, am I in a different multiverse? What happened here?" And then I realized it was the Navalny team's Oscar. But it was ah. weird to see him. Like he was literally doing that thing when it's your first time holding, it, and you're like, "Oh, this is heavy," you know. And uh. <laughs> it was a weird sight to see at the party. Around one or two a.m., the Oscar that went round the party, round the party's world, was the Avatar: Way of Water visual effects Oscar. Many people held that Oscar. Many people. We, in our community, we call that a pass around party Oscar. Um. <laughs> I'm new to this, so I'm, I'm, I got to learn the lingo. Yeah. I'm trying to think of groups of people who I saw, which is sometimes like people interacting with each other. Like, I mean, this is not a group, but when I first walked into the party, the first person I laid eyes on with, was David Spade. And then the second was Nancy Pelosi. Like, they were not talking to each other. <laughs> they were incredibly close together. Well, well, they're doing a Tommy Boy reboot together. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, and then I saw Riz Ahmed, uh, Jesse Buckley, and Malala deep in conversation, like really leaning in to talk to each other. Um, and that felt really special to me, too. That's lovely. Was anyone a real dancer that you saw? Like, were, was anyone just like Michelle. living on the dance floor? Michelle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Michelle Yeo is, I mean, the dance floor took a little bit long. It was an interesting night. I mean, from what I know of last year, which obviously very unusual case, it kind of peaked earlier. But this night, I mean, even we were, Katie and I were there until closing and it was pretty lively until yeah. they turned down the music and the dance floor had was probably near its most crowded at that point. It was yeah, yeah. strangely drawn out in a in a way that I appreciated because I didn't I didn't feel burned out um, by that point because everyone was having a good time. Now, what time was that? Was that four a.m.? <laughs> it was about two thirty. It was very reasonable, okay. Richard. We're, we're professionals. Okay. okay. Um, I feel like I usually after you know we finish this recording, I go through and look at the the photos from inside. I'm like, oh my god, I was at this one place and that was happening over there. Like you kind of piece together the night via these. Beautiful uh, photographs by Justin Bishop and other photographers inside the party. So there's there's kind of a, a nice way to relive it, um, even for those of us who were actually in there. That's the thing with that party is like I wish I could be in every room at this everywhere at the same time, uh, every- <laughs> everywhere all at once at the same time because there's always something cool going on in a different room and like we'll meet up and you guys will tell me about something that was in one room and I'll see like it's just there's there's moments all the time happening in that room. It's really special. Yeah, Richard, I texted you this. I should have saved it for being on the air, but just pretend you're shocked all over again. But I was trying to get through a door, and I was stopped because Sharon Stone, our Oscars queen herself, in this chartreuse cape train situation, was talking to Brendan Fraser, and they were in this hallway, and Brendan Fraser's girlfriend had this big dress also, so there was just no way to get past them. So I was just <laughs> watching, like, Brendan Fraser kiss Sharon Stone's hand, and she was congratulating him, and it just it just felt the, like the only way that these Oscars could have gone. I missed you in that moment, Richard. I, I'm so sad I missed that, but um, I'm just glad that Sharon is carrying the, the torch, you know. Um, yeah. And she, there was a, she was in a commercial that aired uh, during the broadcast, so I can include her in my recap in 20 years, which as a, a, a Frank McCormick on Twitter pointed out to me, and I was very, very happy about that. Um, well, in terms of revisiting the night, you can also rewatch the live stream that I was on, which I guess I'll have to do so I can uh, piece together all my memories of it. But I do want to flag the part where uh, we were talking to Shirley Ralph, uh, speaking of sung accept- acceptance speeches. Uh, she had this kind of like peacock eyeshadow that matched her earrings that you really need to just see to imagine. And then, you know, we're being told to kind of wrap it up with Shirley Ralph because Gigi Hadid is waiting to talk to us and they don't want her to have to wait around so long she doesn't come on the live stream. And so, but it's really hard to wrap up with Cheryl. Ralph. Like, she wants to talk. She's lovely to talk to. You want to talk to her all night. And so finally, Gigi Hadid just kind of, like, pops onto the live stream. And, like, they'd never met before, but she was so excited to meet Cheryl Lee Ralph, as most people would be. Um, but that kind of collision between people from totally different worlds, just full of admiration for each other. Um, Amazing. That was, that was fun to watch firsthand. So everyone should go catch up with that. Yeah, the world's colliding thing at that party is, I remember my first one, I looked and Amy Poehler and Tina Fey were talking to Anita Hill. And I was like, oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> of course. <laughs> only, only at this party would that happen. And then I turned to my left and Barbara Streisand and Oprah were deep in conversation. And I was like, that makes a little more sense, but still. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I saw Jeff Bezos um, with his girlfriend, Lauren Sanchez, for a while, like meeting a lot of different people. But Jeff Bezos was not like really the main draw. Like there were clusters of people in other areas that were like, People who are like, ah, oh, yeah, Bezos, but like Billie Eilish is over here. Like that, that, for him not to be the most interesting person in the room, that is 
Now you know it's a good party. Well, that does it for our bleary, not up to our 100% standards audio post-Oscar episode. We'll be back to normal next week, we promise. Um, We're going to take the rest of this week off. Thank goodness there is no emergency to deal with post-Oscars. One of us is getting on an international flight today, so we'll not be around for uh, slap-level reporting. I think we're all relieved by that. Um, And then we'll be back next week like true maniacs with our 2024 Oscars predictions, which, (laughs) David, I'm going to blow up your spot as we were leaving the party last night. Some of our colleagues were like, so who's going to win next year? And you had an answer ready. (laughs) I I didn't have an answer, but like truly, actually, I'm going to go back to an earlier point of Richard's because in my head, the star of the party was Greta Lee because I had seen past lives fairly recently. (laughs) And I was truly more starstruck seeing her than probably anybody in that room because the movie is extraordinary. And I think it will be a big contender. I think there were a couple of people at that party that we were like, we'll see you next year. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how um, that's how Nate's party report ends. He saw Alden Ehrenreich and was thinking about fair play at Sundance. I was like, okay, let the games begin. But also, and by the way, Past Lives is an A twenty four movie. Just saying. Wow, here we go. It's already <laughs> it's already happening. Um, so for more of that, tune in next week. We'll have our friend Joe Reed back as usual. We'll, re- we'll revisit last year's predictions, where I'm pretty sure no one ever mentioned the phrase "everything, everywhere, all at once." So. Um, you know, we get another year of guessing ahead of us. Um, in the meantime, thank you guys. Thank you, Richard and Rebecca and David. It's been such a great season. I feel like we need to give our acceptance speech, even though we'll be recording this podcast next <laughs> week. Um, I, I'm feeling good. You guys feeling good? I feel like we've really left the season on a high note. Yeah. I feel really good. It's a great wrap up. It was a great, great year. And like, I thought our listeners asked so many great questions or taught us things all seasons, even pronouncing people's names and I feel like we learned a lot this year. It's it's nice to be out in the world and hear from people who are listening because I feel like we had a lot of that this year, which was nice. And it, yeah. it made the season more exciting, too, because it was a little topsy-turvy for a while there. We yeah. reached a milestone, folks. My parents listened to our Oscar predictions episode together. That, in my wow. knowledge, has never happened before. So I think we've really, wow. we've, we've, we've passed through some sort of membrane into the broader consciousness. Major. That's major. And now we will never forget how to pronounce Barry Keoghan's name because when you have to say people's names on the air, you learn how to get it right. Not that we'll not continue to get things wrong in the future, but many things that we learned this season. Well, that does it for the episode. Um, Find everything on VanityFair.com from the party, from the Oscars, the live streams, um, Richard's review of the show. There's so much to dig into. I'm going to be reading all of it. Um, we are on this show is on Twitter at VF Awards Insider. That's on Instagram as well. And we're on Twitter on our own. I'm at Katie Rich and Richard. Rylaws. And David. David Canfield 97. And Rebecca. Becca M. Ford. Our editor and producer is Brett Fuchs. And this week's award for the best description of a post-Oscar hangover goes to Rebecca Ford. Am I in a different multiverse? I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs.